Uh, glad you're tuning in with us today. And man, today is a great day because it is Baptism Sunday. I know we got all the rain last night, but we're going to get wet in here today. <laughs> it is Baptism Sunday and the tank is nice and warm, so you don't have to worry about being cold. But uh, man, it's a great day. It's Baptism Sunday and I'm super, super excited about that. And man, I'm excited about the, the message today. Uh, we'll get started with that in a second, but I just have a question for y'all. Just by a show of hands, how many of you, if you, some of you probably already done this, but if you haven't, how many of you would love to build your own dream house? Just by a show of hands. Some of you, like you said, you might have already done that. Maybe some of you online have done that. You went through that process. But how many of you would love to build your own dream house? And can you imagine how exciting that would be, boy, you get your architecture, your architect, uh, architect, you get the, the builder, you get the contractor, and y'all all sit down and y'all go over the plans, and then y'all, you dreaming up, oh, this is, I want this to have my kitchen to look like this, and I want it to flow into the family room, and then off of that, I want to have a screened-in back porch, and I want an outdoor kitchen for all the men would love that. And then the ladies would say, I need a sunroom where I could just sit and talk on the phone all day to my girlfriends, and you would have all these, we would detail out the room, and you would plan it, and you would have it just the way you like it. And then you come in, and you pick out your lot, like, oh, this is the perfect lot. I love this lot. You, they clear out the ground, and then the contractor and the builder, they get with you, and they say, hey, and it's, on Monday, we're going to start building the house. And you're like, boy, I can't wait to Monday. And you're going to document the entire journey of building the house, and then you show up Monday, the builder's there, the contractor, all the workers are there, and then you show up, and you're like, oh, I'm so excited, it's about to start. And then y'all just sitting around, and y'all talking, and 30 minutes go by. 45 minutes go by. An hour goes by, and you're like, man, I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited and everything, but when, when are we going to get to work? And then finally, you build up the nerve and say, uh, uh, Mr. Contractor, Mr. Builder, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying all this conversation, but when are we going to get to work? And then the contractor turns to you and says, well, I was just waiting on you to bring out the equipment. Do you have some hammers and some nails and some, some saws, some levels, uh, maybe some, a generator or something like that? I don't, I don't have any equipment. And how would you feel in that moment if they turned to you to expect you to bring all the equipment? I know I'd be like, what you mean? I'm paying you to build this house. I need you to have all the equipment. Y'all should be having the framework and doing something. But when there comes to certain projects, it's certain equipment that you need. And when we're dealing with the will of God, there's certain equipment that you need to fulfill the will of God for your life. You can't just show up on the day of construction and say, let's go, God. God's like, okay, but these are pieces of equipment that you're going to need to fulfill the will that I have for you. And today's not a message about the will of God. I don't have time to get into that, but I will make this simple for you because some people make the will of God super complicated. It's not complicated. It's very simple. Y'all want to know what the secret is to the will of God? Just say yes to him. That's it. You keep saying yes, guess what? You in the will of God. You say no, guess what? You not in the will of God. That's the teaching on the will of God. Amen. Y'all may go home now. But no. But that's simple. The will of God is very simple. You just keep saying yes to God, you will find yourself smack dab in the will of God. But along the way, to fulfill the will of God, there's pieces of equipment that you're going to need along the way. And there's seven things 
that Paul outlines in Hebrews chapter 13 that we're going to look at that these are essential tools that we need for the will of God. And if you're following along, all these notes are on the app. You can download the app. You can follow along with us as well. And if you're taking notes, the, the, um, the title of this message is titled Equipment for the Journey. Equipment for the Journey. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you again for another opportunity to come into your presence and for you to speak clearly to our hearts. I bind any hindrances and distractions right now, but I thank you that your presence is already in the room and that you speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Hebrews 13, Paul lines out this chapter, seven things that are essential for the journey or seven essential tools to do the will of God. But before we get into these seven essentials, I want to read this from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. Paul writes, And now may the God of peace, who brought, up the, who brought you up from the dear Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. Now, this is after he stated the seven things that we need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him, all the glory to him forever and ever. Amen. So let's get into these seven essential tools that we need to do the will of God. These are seven things I'm telling you. You're going to need these things throughout your journey to fulfill the will of God for your life. The first one we're going to read, we're going to start off in Hebrews 13, verses 1. We'll read to verse 1 and verse 2. It says, and keep on loving each other, brothers and sisters. Now, this is not one of them, but I feel like this is a good one. It says, keep on loving each other, brothers and sisters. First of all, you have to have love in your heart. Love for others. If you call yourself a believer, there has to be an uh, um, an an inward love that just radiates for other people. You know, you ever met someone and you just look at them and you talk to them for about 10 seconds, you're like, oh, they're a believer. It's like, oh, I know they're a believer. Why? Because you can feel the love of God just radiating out of their heart. And in order to, to fulfill the will of God, this is not one of them, but this is something I know. It says, keep on loving each other, brothers and sisters, because it's real easy to stop loving people. Boy, they get on your nerves one time, that love is gone. They cross you one time, that love is gone. But Paul says, keep on loving each other. So that's a command. Like, we have to continue to say, you know what? I'm going to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to walk in unity. And boy, is that key to fulfilling the will of God for your life, to keep on loving each other, brothers and sisters. Verse 2, but don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for some who have, been, who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Read that again. And don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some have done this, have entertained angels without realizing it. So the first essential tool that you need to fulfill the will of God for your life is hospitality. Hospitality. This is a, a fundamental piece of equipment to do the will of God. It, Paul says that if you welcome strangers, some of you don't even realize this, but you're entertaining angels. The gift of hospitality. Throughout the, the, your Christian walk to fulfill the will of God, there are going to be some people that you encounter that you're going to show some hospitality to. 
I thank God for the men and women in my life didn't even know me when I first got saved that welcome me into their home for a meal. That welcome me at their home and say, hey, let me father on you. Let me, let me, let me teach you some things. Let me, let me show you the ways of, of the, the word. And, and they taught me so many things just by showing hospitality. We know in the South we're known for our hospitality. It's like you meet somebody for the first time. Oh, tomorrow was just telling me she went to a C.C. Winans concert with some friends. And she met a lady that was from Baton Rouge, where we were from. And the lady was like, oh, here's my number. Here's my address. When you come, come visit me. It's like, I just met you at the CC Wines. And you can give me your address, your phone number. What did she say? She, gave, she sent her a picture, a selfie of her, so she wouldn't forget what she looked like. What was this? This lady was showing hospitality because she it was a connection that she made with her. She was like, I want to be friends with you. Now, it seems funny at the moment, like, man, you can't be giving your phone number and address to people these days. But what the lady was saying was that I want to extend hospitality. I want to show hospitality even to strangers. Now, you got to be careful with that. Use wisdom. Now, I'm not just saying just open up. your. Of course, you use wisdom. But what I'm saying is there should be a generosity or a hospitality in your heart that says, I'm here to make everyone feel welcome. I pray that if anyone that walks through the doors of New Life Church, that they would feel the hospitality and the love of all of us when they walk through the doors. Because I know when the first time I walked through this church years ago, I was like, man, there's a genuine love in this place. And that's something that is always maintained, but it's a, it's a hospitality. You know, the early church, they had thousands of spiritual refugees that fled the areas that they were living to come and Christians welcomed them in and said, you know what, I know you're on the run from, uh, from persecution for following Jesus. Why don't you come into our homes and we want to welcome you in? And that's in Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, 36. Jesus says this. He said, I was hungry and you fed me, thirsty and you gave me a drink, naked and you clothed me, a stranger and you took me in. What is he saying? You showed me hospitality. And an essential tool to fulfill the will of God we have to have hospitality in our heart because we can't say that, hey, we love God and we love God's people, but we don't show hospitality. How can you have the love of God in your heart, but you don't show hospitality to make others feel welcome? First essential key, we have to have hospitality. Amen. Let's move on. Verse three, it says, and remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember those, those being mistreated as if, they, as, as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. What's this? The second essential tool that you need for, to fulfill the will of God is compassion. Compassion. Man, compassion is a big piece. You know, sometimes people don't really need anything. They just need your compassion. They just need to hear that you care. They just need to know that I'm not in this thing alone. Can you imagine how... Paul, I'm doing the will of the Father, but everywhere he goes, he finds himself ending up in jail. Uh, Paul, Paul said, man, God, I know you called me to this, and I'm doing your will, but I keep ending up in jail. But believers from all the places that he visited would always send him care packages. They would send him, I'm pretty sure Paul received care packages and clothing and, and writing utensils that he needed to write his letters to the churches and and Paul received those care packages. He was like, I'm not forgotten. I'm not forgotten. Uh, a few years, years ago when we were in Baton Rouge, uh, the state penitentiary in Louisiana is called Angola. And it had the reputation to be, at one point, one of the most 
deadly prisons in the U.S. And we would go in there on Saturdays, uh, like once a month we would go on those Saturdays, and we would go minister to the prisoners. And I'm telling you, we would be in the chapel in the sanctuary, and there was a band that was led by some of the inmates. And I'm telling you, the presence of God would be so strong in that place when they would lead worship. And you wouldn't tell, couldn't tell on the, on the uh, outside that they were physically, they couldn't leave because their spirits were so free. But they would always tell us, thank you for coming visit us. Don't thank you for not forgetting about us. And we would all put together these care packages during Christmas time and we would hand them out and pass them out to them. And the gratitude and the thanksgiving inside of the heart was like, what is that? We were showing them compassion that you're not forgotten. And for the ones that turned their life around, they were like, they were doing great things. And some of them, you were like, now, are you, now are you an inmate or are you a, a worker? Because you couldn't tell. Because they had turned around their lives so much that they had freedom and liberties. But what, but what the biggest thing that showed to me was like the compassion that we showed them, they reciprocated that back by saying, thank you so much for coming. Every time. And it was like we were there, we would talk to them, hang out with them. And I'm telling you, they would feel the compassion and the love of Jesus, and they're not forgotten. But how many people do feel like that? They've, I'm forgotten. Not even people in prison, just people in, in general. How many people in your family feel forgotten? Those that are bedridden, that can't get out of bed or can't get out of the hospital. They're just stuck there just saying, I wish somebody would come visit me. They're in a retirement facility or a nursing home. I wish someone would just come show me some compassion. I wish, but we can't forget those that don't have the ability to get out and to commune and to be in relationship with others. We have to say, you know what? I feel what you feel. When someone, there's a death in the family or, or someone goes through a, a difficult time, we just need to be there and say, you know what? I want to show compassion for you. I want you to know I'm here for you. Whatever, the, if it's just a shoulder to cry on, guess what? You can use my shoulder. If it's just you need a laugh. I, look, I was thinking about something funny. Let me make you laugh. Whatever the case may be, it's just to show Compassion. Amen. Second essential tool we need is compassion. Number three in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, verse four, it says, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to the to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. This is the third one. The third one is purity. In order to fulfill the will of God, you're going to need to be pure. There's so many distractions out there, especially on social media, that you can get yourself entangled to that's out to rob your purity. And not even social media, TV shows. Not even TV shows, commercials. Billboards, there's stuff everywhere that's out to rob your purity because as the world is getting more liberal and more loose and more accepting of whatever, just be what you wanna be, just do what you wanna do, it's becoming more and more impure. And you have to be guarded on your eyes and your heart of what you allow to come in. And I love that it says so much. Some people feel like, well, as long as I get married, then I'm good. No, you have to be vigilant and be even more on guard when you are married, that nothing is coming between you and your spouse. Let marriage be held in honor. Honor is a secret of a great marriage. You want to have a great marriage? Let there be honor for each other in your purity. Let there be honor in your marriage with your purity. You would ne we, we should never want to dishonor another person sexually. No contact, I mean, no contract, no contact. That's for you single people. If, there, if, there, if there's no marriage vows being made, there should be no contact. 
You know, I heard Robert Morris, he shared this. I think it was Robert Morris. Maybe it was somebody else. Someone was talking about marriage. But they were talking about how when you're single, that why is there so much adultery in marriages? And it was like, because when you're single uh, and you do things that you're not supposed to do, there's a chemical or endorphins that are released inside of you that likes the excitement of doing things that you're not supposed to be doing. But then when you get married, they're, they're, it's gone because obviously it's okay to do those things. But what happens is that people feel like, oh, I've lost the romance. I've lost, there's no spontaneity. There, there's no excitement in the marriage. So what they do is they find themselves outside of the marriage doing other things to get that feeling of excitement back for doing things that they know they shouldn't be doing. What is that? That's because they ruined their purity before they got married, and now that they come in, they don't know how to handle it. That's why it's so important that, man, we do everything. We remain vigilant in our purity because nothing, the Bible says that nothing else destroys you more than sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. The enemy is out to destroy you and to taint your purity because he knows he can't create anything new. The only thing he could do is pervert what God has already created. That's what impurity is. He perverts anything that God has already created. He taints it. He stains it. He makes it not, it's like you get it and then you realize, I ain't even want that. Why did I even do that? What is it? That's the guilt that comes in with it. But we have to maintain our purity. And here's a few statistics. Eight million couples are cohabitating, cohabitating in the U.S. and Half of American graduates have already lost their virginity. One half of all divorces, 500,000 a year, are because of pornography. Purity is the ability to control our lust and our physical temptations. There is a critical, uh, criti this is a critical thing for a single and married couple alike. Without the piece of equipment of purity, your spirit, you will, in, in your spirit, you will destroy your life and become displeasing in the eyes of God. It says that God will judge the sexual, sexually immoral and the adulterous. That's what we just read there. That's who God's go He's going to judge the sexual immoral and the adulterous. But we have to make sure that God, I'm fighting for my purity. Because first of all, I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. If the Holy Spirit's inside of you, you need to do everything that you can to guard the purity of your life so you won't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because one day, if you keep grieving it, you realize the Holy Spirit, he's gone. And then that's when you find yourself in a situation that, how did I get here? Because you kept grieving the Holy Spirit. And then there was no check there to stop you from keep moving forward. But you have to maintain your purity. That's the third thing, our purity. In uh, verse 5, it says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So what's the fourth equipment that we need for, to fulfill the will of God of our life? Contentment. Contentment. We need, boy, do we ever need contentment in our lives. Because everything out there is to try to get you to want more and more. Obtain more and more. You're not going to be satisfied unless you get a bigger car, a bigger house, uh, or whatever. More clothes, more shoes, more jewelry, more whatever. It's always out there. You want to make extra little money? Here's how you make more money online. Here's how to add an extra $15,000 to your income a year. And then it's like, oh, how do I do that? 
And there's all these things out there to help you get more and more and more. Lazy boy. I don't get it. I don't know. But we did go. I was like, I don't, I don't know how to, what that has to do with this. But anyway, contentment. God has called us to be content. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You know, everybody loves to quote that scripture. I could do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. But what Paul was really saying was that if you read before that, he says, whether I have a lot or a little, I have learned how to be content. I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He was talking about contentment, but people use that as, oh, I could do anything I want to do because Christ gives me the strength to do it. Nope, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about contentment. And we should all live a life that says, you know what? I'm content with what I have. Because as long as you're, like one pastor said, you know, be the little eye sees everything that it wants, you're not going to be content. And you're always going to feel, I just feel like I'm just so unsatisfied. Why is that? Because you're not content. Sex and money are the two biggest destroyers of marriage relationships because people never feel content. What do we want to be content with? We want getting more, always wanting more money, money, keeping all, miserably holding on to everything. When contentment, sometimes people are not content to the point where they're like, I don't want to let it go of anything, so they start hoarding. And they, I, I, I can't let go of my stuff because if I let go, I'm going to need it one day. You hadn't looked at that in three years. You forgot it was in your closet. But you, I got to hold on to it. What is that? A lack of contentment. Because if you're truly content, things don't hold you. You say, you know what? I, I live freely. It, if it, easy as it comes, easy as it goes, and my hands are loose. And on this journey with God, this is what I, I realized. You can't hold on to stuff. You have to learn how to live loosely. Because God at any moment can say, I need you to move from Baton Rouge to sell your house to move to Mobile. And you say, you want me to do what now? I, you want me to sell everything, move, and hold, you got to hold things loosely. Things come, things go. But as long as you're holding on to them things, God says, well, I want to add more to you, but you keep holding on to everything. If you let some of that stuff go, maybe I could give you something new. But with, there's a lack of contentment. And when there's a lack of contentment, there's a restlessness in your soul. There's a, you, you can't find peace. You can't find rest because you're always thinking about how can I get more? How, how, can I, how can I attain more money? What can I do to bring more? But the God says, no, just find contentment. And I'm telling you, when you get to the place where you find true contentment, I'm telling you, things, you're not moved by things. When somebody gets their brand new car, I'm glad they got their brand new car. I don't have that car note, and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> My car is paid off. Thank you, Jesus. Got to worry about that car note. <laughs> but boy, if you're not content, you'll see somebody with that new car. I got to get me a new car, too. They, I can't let them outshine me. And you know, neighbors are in competition with each other. One neighbor get a new F-150, the other one, I got to get me a Silverado. Oh, they got them a new Cadillac, I got to get me a Mercedes. And I heard this story of uh, Major League Baseball players and obviously they're in a different tax bracket. And so one of them would say, one teammate would come in with a new Porsche and he said, oh, I can't let him outdo me. I gotta go get a Lamborghini. And so it'll be this competition in the locker room that they just spending money because they I can't let the other one outdo me. Even though they have the money to do it, they keep doing that, they're gonna end up broke. 
trying to, trying to out, outdo each other. But the point is there's a lack of contentment. Because when there's contentment, you say, I'm not moved by things. Yes, I will like, I'm not saying you shouldn't like, not, you should not like good things or nice things. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is don't let those things control you. Don't let those things control you. Yes, you should want to have nice things, but don't let those nice things control you. Be content. Amen? Amen. This is in the Greek. When we talk about, it says, God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. When it comes to your finances, I want you to, this is with the Greek. If you go, we just think in, our, in, the, in the natural, like in English, it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We're like, oh, that's awesome. That's good, which it is good. But if you translate it in the Greek, in the original text, it, that phrase, I will never leave you nor forsake you, is five negatives before the negation. So this is what it really means when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says this, it says, it is, I will not. I absolutely won't. There is absolutely no way. I say it again, I will not. I will never let you down, leave you in the lurch, leave you destitute, leave you in straits and helpless, or leave you abandoned. That's what it means. When he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I'll read it again. It says, I will not. I absolutely won't. There is absolutely no way. I say it again, I will not. I will never let you down, leave you in the lurch, leave you destitute, leave you in straits and helpless, or leave you abandoned. And when you think about your finances in that way, and that how God thinks about you, guess what? That should bring some contentment to your heart. That you say, my God won't fail me because he hadn't failed me yet, and he never will. He never will. Contentment. The fifth thing in uh, verse 7, it says, I'm sorry, verse 6. Go back to verse 6. It says, and so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that comes from their lives and follow the example of their faith. The, seventh, or the fifth thing, I'm sorry, is submission. Submission. The fifth piece of equipment that we need for uh, to do the will of God is submission. It says our leaders, we should look at our leaders as models. Like as an artist chisels out or is fine, like has a model in front of him or her that, that they're, they're, like you ever seen like the, the caricatures that the artists, they draw the characters? It's like we should look at our leaders like they're models that we should model. And I'm telling you, I thank God for the leaders that God has placed in my life as models. Because I feel like if more people had leaders that they could admire and look up to, then a lot of things in their life would be a lot simpler. When you have great leaders in front of you, I'm thankful for my pastors, Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Wayne. I'm telling you, and also Pastor Larry, his father. And there's so many other names that I can name. But when, I ha when you look at the leaders that Tamara and I have had in our lives, there's a lot of things that you learn from them that you don't even have to go through. You just follow by their example. And it's like just by following their example, you learn how to make wise decisions. You learn how to stay out of foolishness. And it's like you know what to do when certain things come because you followed the example of the models that was been presented and for you. That's why it's so important as Christians that we give great models for people to follow because the last thing you want to say is, oh, they're supposed to be a Christian, but they're doing this. All Christians are hypocrites. Why do people say that? Because they're not a good model to follow. But when you have a model that you can follow, I'm telling you, it makes life a lot simpler. I'm not saying it makes it easy, 
I'm just saying there's some cases it make because you know that, hey, what will my leaders do in this situation? It's not to say that they're perfect. It's not to say that you should do everything that they do. But in certain regards, there are certain things that you can learn from them to say, you know what? I know exactly what to do in this situation because I've seen it modeled before me. I've seen great marriages modeled before me, so I know what things I should do in my marriage, and I definitely know things I should not do. And I've learned from my leaders to be content. When they could have all the flashy things in the world that they would want, they do not. They live a modest life. Well, some people, they get influence, they get money, they want you to know, look what I got. Look at the, and they want to be flashy, and they want to show it off. I praise God that wasn't the model that was presented before me. It was a model of, hey, be humble. It's hard to fall when you're on your knee, on your face. That's always been the message they always told. It's hard to fall when you're on your face crying out to God. Humility. Be humble. Love people. Treat people kindly. All those, I'm telling you. Submission to authority. When you have a model in front of you and that you can model, I'm telling you, it is the greatest thing ever. In Hebrews chapter 17, it says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. And those who have to, and those, and I'm sorry, and those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. That's true. It's like, Leaders have to give an account for what they do with the people that are following them. And as a pastor, I know that I'm going to give held an account for the things that I say to you guys. And you watching online. So please believe the stuff that I'm saying, I'm living. I'm not just telling you to do one thing and live in another way because I know I'm going to be held at a higher standard because I'm the one that God has placed in, in, uh, in the place of leadership. So that's something that I take very seriously and also that I'm fearful of. Because I don't want to stand before God and say, well, you told the people to do this, but did you do it yourself? And I can't say, well, God, you know, I mean, it's been hard out there. You know I'm only human. No, no, no. No, no. You said you wanted this place of leadership. There's a greater responsibility that comes with that. And so please believe I'm not telling you to do stuff that I hadn't already done or doing myself. Because I know that I'm going to be held accountable for the things that I teach, the things that I say, the, the way that I treat my wife. All those things, God is going to look at me and say, I need you to give an account for that. And I'm telling you, it's important. Make sure you follow in good models. Number six, uh, verse, let's drop down to verse 15. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to him. Proclaiming our allegiance to him. The sixth thing that we need for this journey to fulfill the will of God is praise. It's praise. We must learn how to get happy even when you're not happy. You got to learn how to be happy even when you're not happy. I heard something that says that, that even if you're not happy but you smile, you still trick your body into believing that you're happy. The body knows no different. Isn't that amazing? Like it's scientifically proven that just by smiling, you, even if you're not happy, just by smiling, you trick your body into believing that you are happy. And it has the same effects as if you were smiling for real. But we can't sometimes, let me see you smile. I'm not smiling. Turn to your neighbor and say hello. I ain't telling them hello. And boy, you can't, you can't 
you just like you're sucking on lemons all day. Can't get a smile out of another. But boy, just by telling yourself to be happy and to smile, I'm telling you, it would add life to your life. And it will take away stress. Sometimes you need to tell yourself, self, be happy. And just say, ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. And eventually you'll start laughing. Because you're like, man, what am I doing? Ha, 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 ha. Just tell yourself, ha, ha, ha. Ha, 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 ha. See, it's just right there, joy, instantly. But you have to make yourself happy even when you're not happy. I remember on Family Matters, y'all remember the old TV show Family Matters? And Carl, the dad, he always had a bad temper, and he would just go off. And then one time he, was, he read this little pamphlet on how to uh, deal with his anger, and he would say, three, two, one, one, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? And he would try to make himself happy by thinking that, but eventually it would work. But then Steve would come in and do something, he'd blow up again. But sometimes things happen that you got to make yourself happy. You say, you know what? Because you could be happy one moment, and then the next moment, you're not. Like real quick. Like mood swings come. Like, whoa, I thought you was just happy. What happened to this happy person that I was just talking to? But you have to make yourself happy. You know, Paul had to make himself happy. You talk about Paul. He was the writer of this. You think it's, make, it's easy to make himself happy when he locked in prison? How would you feel if you was locked up in prison knowing you did something that you didn't do or you were arrested for something that you didn't do? That you just simply thrown in jail because you said, I want to be a follower of Christ. I'm doing the work of the Father, and I find myself in prison. But it says that Paul would be singing praises unto God, singing songs in the midnight hour. Even in the midst of his chains and imprisonment, Paul said, you know what? I'm going to praise God anyway. The key to, if you find yourself in a dark place, in a helpless place, how do you get out of it? Praise. As soon as you open up your mouth and you begin to praise and thank God for what he has done and that what he will do, guess what? You will praise your way out of the situation that you're in. How does it happen? Because God sees that, you know what? My child is praising me in the midst of this pain and turmoil. Guess what? I'm going to reach in and I'm going to help them and I'm going to pull them out of it. Why? Because you opened up your mouth and you said, God, I'm going to praise you. And the good and the bad, I'm going to praise you. It's easy to praise him when things are going good. When your bank account is where it needs to be and you got food on your table and you got everything you, and the gas tank is full and the car is, oh, boy, it's good to praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm happy. Well, when things are going bad, it's a little bit harder to praise then because all you're thinking about is what you're walking through. That's when you need your praise. That's why it's so important that whether seasons are favorable or unfavorable, you continually praise because when you get to those low places, you know how to get out of them. The reason that people stay in low places is because they don't know how to get out of it because they hadn't made a practice of praising whether things are good or bad. So I know if seasons are good, I know some bad things are going to come my way. So guess what? I'm prepared to praise because I know I'm going to praise my way out of whatever I'm walking through. And we have to... and. Uh, Never stop offering a sacrifice of praise. We have so much to be thankful for. You could go back. I wouldn't have time to read it, but go back and read Psalms 103 and just see how the, uh, the writer David lists the things that he's thankful for and praising God. Just go back on your own time and read Psalm 103. Like I said, we, we don't have time to, it's a, it's a pretty lengthy verse, but I'm telling you, you're going to find yourself encouraged 
praising God if you go back and read that. And this is the last one for our journey. The seventh final essential that we need to fulfill the will of God is found in verse 16. It says, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Now, this is a big one, a uh, big essential equipment piece that we need to fulfill the will of God. It's generosity. Generosity. Is there anything in your possession that you have that you feel like you can't part away with? Like, it's something that, think about that one thing that you said, if, boy, I can't let go of this. I'm not saying that you have to get rid of it. I'm just saying, what if God asked you to get rid of it? Could you do it? The one thing that you hold dearly, that purse, that outfit, that that watch, that whatever. I remember there was a um, there was a time where our pastor was preaching on generosity, and he made a challenge. And, and don't worry, I'm not doing this challenge for you. <laughs> he did a challenge. He was like, we're talking about generosity. What's one thing in your possession that you hold on to that you could just that God is speaking to you to say just to give it away to somebody? And I remember I had just bought this brand new watch. And one of my friends, the couple days ago, he said, man, I really like that watch. That's a real nice watch. And I remember sitting in service when our pastor said that. He said, whatever it is that you're holding on to or someone admired it and they said that they like it, just give it to them. And I remember the Lord said, give them that watch. I said, I rebuke you, Satan. That ain't nothing but the devil. Nothing but the devil. But then I, I felt the Holy Spirit, no, give him the watch. This is me. This is not Satan. Because Satan will never tell you to give anybody anything. He's going to tell you to keep it. And so I remember I gave him the watch. And I was like, man, it was, I, I, man, I was like, man, I love this watch. I just bought this watch. But I remember he said a couple days ago, Oh, man, that's a really, I really, and I gave it to him. And I was kind of sad at the moment. I'm not going to lie. But over, I got over it. And guess what? I got an even better watch after that. And it was like, it was just things. But we get so attached to things that we block the generosity that God wants to flow through us. Because God wants, is looking for a generous person that he can flow blessings through. Because, you know, if I give it to them, they just going to give it away. And as soon as they give it away, guess what? I'm going to bless them with more. But if your hands are always stingy and you never have any generosity in your heart, God says you're not a channel of blessing that I can use to funnel funds through. So guess what? I can't bless you in the way that you want to because you're not generous. But when there's generosity in your heart, I'm telling you, God says that's a man or a woman I can use. That's a man or woman I can pour my blessing on because I know they're not going to withhold anything from me. You ever think about the story about the rich young ruler? He came up to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? He said, I've done all these things. Jesus said, he quoted what he's done. And Jesus says, okay, well, go and sell everything that you have and come follow me. He didn't even finish the conversation. He just walked away. The Bible says he walked away sad. And this is what I believe about that story. I don't think Jesus really wanted his stuff. Jesus knew that his stuff had his heart. And he just wanted them to say, 
what you, the stuff, your possessions, obviously he's the rich young ruler, so he's rich. Those things, your possessions, they hold your heart. I don't want your stuff. I want your heart. Because if you give me your heart and you give me the stuff, guess what? Don't you think I have the ability to give it back to you and give it back to you even more? And I believe Jesus would have done that. But the guy walked away sad because there's no generosity in his heart because he held on to all this stuff. Because, again, one of those other things, he wasn't content. He had to hold on to everything. But I'm telling you, when you're a generous person, God says, I want to bless that person. There's two stories I want to share, and then we will close. Jensen Franklin, y'all know the pastor Jensen Franklin. He said, unsolicited, somebody came up to him and gave him a Rolex watch that was worth $7,000. He said, everywhere he went, he said, man, what time is it? Let me look what time it is. He was just like showing everybody, his, showing off his Rolex watch. He was, boy, he was proud of that watch because he was like, I never owned a Rolex. I never owned anything this nice. Somebody just gave it to him. And he said he was sitting in one church service, and then God spoke to him and says, you really like that watch, don't you? And he said, oh, yes, Lord, I love that watch. And he's like, who gave you that watch? And he said, you did. He said, well, give it back to me. And he said, at that moment, they were doing the offering. And at this time, the offering bucket, that's when they did offering buckets. So the offering buckets were coming past them. And he says, when the offering bucket comes past you, drop that watch in the bucket. And he said the same thing I said. I rebuke you, Satan. That is nothing but the devil. And he's like, no. He says, give me the watch. And so he said, reluctantly, he just kind of just slipped it off and just dropped it in the bucket and just kept. And, he, and he's like, the whole time for days, why in the world did I give away this watch? Man, I'm stupid. Why did I give away that 7,000 Rolex watch? A few days later, a man from New York flew down to his church. And he said, I don't know why, but God put it on my heart to give you this watch. It was another Rolex watch, more expensive than the one he had. And since then, people have given him 30 Rolex watches. 30. He's received over 30 Rolex watches since. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to give you a Rolex watch. He never gave me one, but i never given away a Rolex watch either. But the point is, because when you're generous, God says, I'm going to use you as a funnel of blessing to bless others. Robert Morris, another pastor, he wrote a book called The Blessed Life. And he says that he's given away over 40 cars in his lifetime. And he said, you know what? I'm going to outgive God. I'm going to give away all my retirement, everything in my bank account, all the money I have. I'm going to give it all away. And his wife was in agreement with it. And they gave away everything they owned. Not even 30 days later, God doubled what they gave away. And, he, and it's all in his book, The Blessed Life. And all he talked about is if you, manage, if you manage money well, you can fulfill all the dreams that God has for you. Just with what you start with what you have. He also told a story that when they first got married, they didn't have much. He just bought a $6,000 trailer. And then they, when they were young and they married, and they went to their friend's house, and they had these luxury apartments and his wife said, man, this sure would be nice to have an apartment like this because he said he had to put foil around his roof, I mean the windows in his trailer to keep it cool in the uh, winter and keep it warm in the summer. And he told his wife, he says, you know, when we finish paying off this $6,000, we're going to own this trailer. But when they finish paying off their apartment, they're not going to have anything to show for it. He said a year later, they sold it 
for $7,000, and they moved in with their parents and lived there for a couple years till they, so, till they build up enough money to buy their own house. And he says, I promise if you stay with me, we're going to live in some really nice houses. And they live in some really nice houses. And he's given the highway houses as well. But all because he says, you know what, I want to be a generous person. Look for areas in your heart where you could be. This is the holiday, the holiday season's coming up. There's going to be plenty of opportunities for us to be generous. And God says, if you're generous, I can use you as a vessel to pour more blessings into so you can be even more of a blessing to others. Amen? Because God wants to bless you not just for you, but for those around you. That's what he wants to bless you for. But those are the seven essential things that we need for the journey. The first one is we need hospitality. Second one, compassion. Third is purity. Fourth is contentment. Fifth is submission. Sixth is praise. And the seventh is generosity. Those are the seven essential uh, tools that we need for the journey to fulfill the will of God for our life. And I promise you, you get those seven down, you're going to live a life of peace, a life of purpose, a life of joy that is unimaginable. If you feel like that's not what your life is right now, get these seven things inside of you. And I promise it'll turn just like that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Seven essential tools to do the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word today. I thank you for these seven areas, Lord God, that they would get deep down inside of our heart, Lord God, that we would walk these areas out, Lord God, that we just won't just hear a word, but that we'll be doers of the word as well. And I just thank you right now that you use us for your glory, Lord God, as we fulfill the will that you have for each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to give uh, an invitation for those that uh, maybe you're watching online and you're in the room and uh, we're talking about the will of God, but you find yourself outside of the will of God because you don't have a relationship with God at all. I wouldn't want to leave this, this sanctuary today without giving you an opportunity to come in right relationship with the Lord. Because I don't know if anyone ever told you this before, but God loves you and that God is proud of you and that God wants you to be his own. He loves you. He sent his son to die just for you. If it was only you, he would have did it just for you. That's how much he loves you. And God says, all you have to do is just receive my love. There's no tricks. There's no gimmicks. There, I, I don't want anything for you. I just need you just to receive me. Just to receive me in your heart and have faith that I am who I say that I am. And if you believe that and you allow Jesus to come into your heart, guess what? All of your sins will be forgiven. Is it just that simple? It's just that simple. All you have to do is believe that he can forgive you of your sins. And guess what? Your sins are forgiven. So I want to give an invitation right now for anyone under the sound of my voice, whether you're in the room or you're watching online, and you say, I want to come into right relationship with God. I want my sins to be removed, and I want to live forever and ever with Jesus in heaven. If that's you, maybe you followed the Lord at one point, but you strayed away, but you want to come back today. If that's you, I want to pray a special prayer with you. And with no one looking around, just slip up your hands and just acknowledge between you and God, God, I want to be in relationship with you. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. You online, just, just between you and God. 
This would be the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life, the most important decision that you would ever make in your life. And I want to pray with you. You can slip your hands down, and I'm going to just ask everyone just to place their hand over their heart. And I just want everyone just to repeat this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you asking you to forgive me of all of my sin. I surrender my life. I lay it down to you today. And as in return, I receive your love and I receive your forgiveness. I believe you are who you say you are, that you died and arose on the third day. I thank you for the sacrifice that you made just for me. I love you, Lord. I honor you and I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Congratulations. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. That is the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. Bigger than who you're going to marry, what job you have, what car or house you're going to live in. That is the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. Congratulations on that decision. Amen. Amen. If you're in a room uh, and you made that decision, there's a, one thing I want you to do. In the seat back in front of you, uh, there's a card that says, let's connect. On the back of it, it says, I made a decision. Fill that out, and during offering time, you can drop that in the bucket. We love to connect with you and pray with you. And if you're online, just uh, let us know in the comment section that you made, you prayed that prayer to receive God. And we love to connect with you throughout the week as well. But come on, let's give it up one more time for those that made the decision to follow God. Amen. We're going to dismiss you from online in a moment. We're going to get to our baptism. So at this time, if you're getting baptized, we want to release you right now. You can go to the back get dressed, get prepared to get water baptized. So we're going to just, hold on, what? Yeah, they're going to follow me in a minute. But you can go ahead and you can go in the back. You can go ahead and, uh, and prepare yourself to, for baptism. But we want to, uh, for those of you online, this Wednesday, 6.30, we have life groups. Life groups are happening this Wednesday, 6.30. We have men's groups, ladies groups, young adults groups, and we also have kids groups. So we love to invite you to, uh, to come out with us. 6.30, we'll share a meal together. Then we'll break off into our groups. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time this Wednesday, 6.30. But also, if you're prepared to give online, we want to give you that opportunity to give. There's a couple ways that you could do it. You can go to our website, which is newlifemobile.org. Uh, go to our homepage. There's a Give Online tab. Or you can download our app. You can download the app and you can give that way as well. So we're going to pray for the offering for those online, then we'll dismiss you guys uh, online. Lord, we thank you for the offering that's coming in today, the tithe that's coming in today. I pray that you bless each and every person, Lord God, in their generosity. Pray that you bless their family, bless all of their needs. Let there be no lack in their home. And Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for tuning in with us this Sunday. Uh, we love you guys. Again, we want to invite you out this Wednesday, 6.30 for Life Group. Hope you guys have a great Sunday. We'll see you this Wednesday. Amen. All right. If you're getting baptized, you can follow me.